from the Boomer and the Babe studio at the Feeding Arizona building in Youngtown, Arizona, it's time for Success or Failure with Tom and Terry. Success or Failure is the show that gives you methods and principles to guide you to your best business and your best self. Now here are Tom Legering and Terry Munther. Terry show uh, this morning. It's without uh, Terry Munther. He is uh, traveling from his uh, job in uh, Spokane, Washington, but we have two guests with us, uh, Cricket Barrientos and Margaret Ortiz. Uh, We're just getting started with our conversation, and this morning uh, we're talking about the uh, success or failure and how it helps uh, is on the autism spectrum, and the fact that we're here at the Country Club where we're uh, speaking from this morning, we will be getting into um, different information with Cricket about her uh, organization. She has a nonprofit that's called The Sounds of Autism, and Margaret has uh, worked with me in all of the different uh, things in her children are the reason that I am an advocate of helping autistic kids. So uh, we'll get started this morning with Cricket, and uh, welcome to our show. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Uh, could you uh, give us the name and uh, what your organization does? So my organization is called Sounds of Autism. It was um, started as a blog page on Facebook called Growing with Autism 7 Seeds. And once I saw the need for uh, awareness and just the support of families, I started a 501c3 nonprofit uh, in 2012 called Sounds of Autism. Um, Our mission is to integrate kids and families of autism back into society through love and support. Um, And I really based a lot of my um, decisions on what we're going to do with Sounds of Autism based on the fact that I had a son who's now 13 who just has needs that I think other parents may be interested in knowing about since there's uh, not a lot of resources of awareness out there. Um, It's the way we can support those families. Yeah, and just recently you uh, kind of put a a program together uh, that is going to involve other other nonprofits called Responders Responders Unite. Unite. Yes, so Responders Unite was... um, uh, it was determined by me um, once I started doing networking groups that as a nonprofit um, in Arizona, we needed to bring more awareness to uh, organizations that are available to families. So I started um, finding nonprofits that would be interested in doing this Responders Unite. And a friend of mine who is responsible for Luke Air Force Base uh, said that they had a need for resources as well. Um, so I told them instead of them looking for those resources, we would bring those resources to them. So we will be doing uh, two different events, uh, one late August and the Luke event. We're not really sure the date yet. We haven't uh, narrowed it down, but um, we are going to do a fundraiser to bring awareness to these nonprofits, to typical society, and then uh, we'll take the money raised and use it at Luke Air Force to create an event to bring awareness to all the nonprofits available uh, to Luke and military families. It seems like I I looked up... uh Nonprofits in the state of Arizona, and there's approximately 20,000 of them. Yes. And, you know, finding help or finding a source to donate 
whether it's your time, energy, or expertise, or your uh, from your treasury, it it just it's kind of hard to find one uh, group that does it. But I think your responders' idea is you're you're looking at people that will respond to needs, right? It's absolutely Organization. It's not just autism. It's every uh, from PTSD to cerebral palsy to autism to domestic violence, anybody that um, has a nonprofit organization that offers resources that may be small or large, um, where we can bring that awareness to these families. Um, when you have those situations going on at home, the last thing you're doing is Googling for help. So for us, um, we want to be able to offer those resources, something that I wasn't um, aware of when my child was growing up. And I think now, looking at all the resources, those 20,000 available, I wish I knew about those You know, 10 years ago. It would have been very um, helpful for me to maybe make better decisions about raising a child with autism. I, I think that's, that's really uh, one of the things that I've run into here at Sun City Country Club. We've had a program to uh, bring social skills and motor skills for autistic kids from usually age 9 to 17 is what I say, but if the, the autistic or child on the spectrum can help, can use that type of help, I don't really care what age they are. I mean, I'm just putting that out as a thing. But when I would contact other organizations and say, uh, could you send me some children to our program? It's free to the kids and it's free to the parents. Uh, they said, well, just send us the money. Yeah. You know, I said, well, I just want some children to come to it. So I have had a hard time getting 10 children. But now I'm finding, you know, through your organization and others that you know, I'm getting resources where they will send me the kids and and. Just, they're just looking out for the kids, not looking out for the money part. And um, we've got to have the money part, but that is that is uh, when you're trying to do a program that's just going to help somebody and you're not asking somebody for the money, you've already raised it, whether it's out of my pocket or whether people help me in, by donating their time, uh, you know, this is, this is something I had a hard time with. Do you find that too? Absolutely. I think... Um one of the things that I noticed is it took about three years for parents with special needs children to feel comfortable sharing their stories with myself, even though I have a child with autism. Um, it, my boyfriend's a Phoenix police officer. He deals with this every day. Families that have special needs children, when he states that he has a special needs child at home, the relationship with that person that he's responding to changes. Right. It's like we're all in the same club. And the one thing that I encourage, and that's why my mission is to integrate these families and kids back into society, is because they're afraid to make those steps. There's so many different reasons for it. It's time, it's concern about their kids' behavior or their special needs that may, maybe people don't know how to respond to that. So me going out and educating our community to prepare for that, um, our, our Life on a Spectrum presentation that I do is in schools and, and firefighters and police officers, and we do it for all different people. We also do it for typical society and, and special needs societies. And my whole idea is to bridge the gap between all of those different uh, relationships so that people feel comfortable saying the word special needs and autism and they don't hesitate or talk to us like, 
we're different or yeah, not something's wrong with you. Yeah. yeah. And and finding those kids to come out and do your life skill program that you're trying to put mm -hmm. together, um, it's so needed and we, we are all looking for those programs. But it's almost like we have to go and help you find those people and then find the comfort level to bring them here and, and understand that this is a trustworthy program. Uh, you can feel comfortable there. If your son or daughter acts out or does something they shouldn't be doing, we're going to respond to that and we're going to make it comfortable for you because we want you to integrate back into society. Right. That I, I think uh, on that point, uh, Margaret, do you want to mention something about your experience with uh, autism and well, I think that, I, you know, Cricket, I'm, I'm, your point is well taken, and I think some of the fears that parents have, I noticed, you know, when, when, when my kids were growing up, I have 23-year-old twins now, um, you know, I met a lot of parents that got involved in programs, and it was just, uh, they, they was always looking for money from them. They would get involved in a program, and somebody on the other side of that program was trying to sign them up. Some of them were very expensive. I actually know people that, you know, lost everything. They put all their money, their, their savings into things. and So I think there's a lot of skepticism out there because, unfortunately, there are a lot of groups that are looking for it to be, a, you know, a, a, a an income stream for them. So I think that's part of it. I know that was some of my experience with my kids when they were growing up. So we were, you become a wary parent. You do become wary of what you expose them to. And I, and I you know, goes back, we started a conversation before the show began this morning goes back to, um, you know, going with your gut. I know with my kids, I just always had to trust my own instincts. And even if somebody was saying, you know, that it wasn't a good thing for them or certain, like, doctors trying to put them on medication and I felt like that just didn't make any sense to me, uh, I steered clear of it. So before we started the show, I said to Cricket, I, people ask me all the time, how did you do it? And I said, the first thing you have to do is understand that you're, the, you're your child's number one advocate. And so... I think for this program that we have here at the golf course, you know, I know we'd welcome people. Just come on over and and and, and see. Just come on over and visit. You know, you're welcome to do that. Um, and um, we really are not. It really is, you know, totally free to the child, free to the to the student. Uh, we are free to the parent rather. We are asking for um, just you know just take some time. That's what we're just asking for parents to come over and take time. But there's no judgments being made or anything like that. And I, I think that was the. You, be, you know, as a parent, you must know it too. You do have a tendency to also want to become a little bit of a shut in, but mm -hmm. that's your thing. You want to be a shut in. A kid doesn't want to be a shut in. No. They need to be out in the sunshine. They need to be out playing, and they need to be around other people. You know, one of the like the real things that was important for my kids and a lot of children that are on the spectrum is that they will model other behavior. A lot of them will model behavior. If you don't get them around other people to model. Who are they? Who are they modeling? You know, right. that's the whole concept of inclusion. That's that's what the basis of inclusion is. Is there, that's the reason for it? Is to be in a situation where the children can look over and see, oh, you know, Johnny's doing this. I'm going to do that. So that's what that's what how how you know sort of like their learning happens even more so than well typical children model a lot. That's how we learn how to speak, yeah. right? I mean, right. we're modeling. So. Um, they rely on that, so we have to get them out. I mean, we have to get them out in public. We always did that when my kids were growing up. My husband and I were crazy because we went everywhere with them, whether people liked it or not, and people really didn't like it. A lot of people did not like it. Yeah. But we we started things, um, for example, I was with a support group, and we started something that uh, allowed, we contacted the local grocery store, and we asked the manager if 
that grocery store with our support group would understand that we were coming to the grocery store and it was difficult and we didn't need to have, you know, other parents, you know, casting these, you know, eyes on us like we were just terrible parents. Oh, if you, maybe he needs to be spanked or yeah. maybe this or that. And we had, this, we had the, the store members, the store employees support us while we were there grocery shopping to allow maybe the kid needs to, Maybe the mom needs some help. Maybe the maybe the kid needs a little, uh, you know, somebody to shadow them around the store or something like that because little, those little tasks would become impossible. So I think for me it was always just trying to figure out ways. But this, what you're doing, Cricket, is great because you're trying to put together resources already. 23 years, my kids, you know, my kids are 23 years ago, years old. So that many years ago, there were nothing. There was no resources. Even IEPs were not. Set in stone. I mean, now there's so many more laws about it, but they were just like free-flowing plans for education and all. So, I, it, just mention where where your children are at now. Well, um, both of my children graduated from the University of Arizona, and um, and they're uh, working on masters. And my son's working on his teaching certification also at the same time. And they're working. They're both employed. They were employed in college. They were both working with. Um, my daughter worked for an organization that when she was in when she was in um, high, uh, college that works with uh, developmentally disabled um, people, and so she was she has a real you know so much uh, passion and compassion. And my son also my son met, was working for a mentor organization mentoring children with autism. So um, they both got to use these just innate gifts that they have of really being able to connect. And I think that this is something that is. You know, I look like long term for other children too, because there is a there is people tell my son all the time, you just have a real gift for working. I and mean, people that don't know what his diagnosis is, because you wouldn't know anymore. But I mean, they just, but they say you just have such a gift for working with these kids. Well, he does have a gift for working with these kids because he was one of those kids. Yeah. So he he you know he works at a at a at a, um, a charter school. I'll give you an example. He was working with a little boy with autism who would not write would not write anything on a piece of paper, would not put his pen to a piece of paper. It was very, you know... Over-centered. Yeah, over, it was just not... It was it was just too much for him. He And the mom struggled all the time with trying to get him to do homework. And so, you know, Jesse started working with him, and the kid likes computers. So just very nonchalantly started saying, oh, well, let's just draw a mind map. Let's just... While we're doing this, let's just draw a mind map so we know where we're going in this game. And we could just... And the kid just started picking up a pen and drawing became very non-threatening, very, you know, easy for him to do. And now he's doing his homework in an hour. He used to take his mom two, three hours to get him to work on homework. She used to have to write everything else. He's doing it all. But it was just like this ability to connect. And I think that that might be something to for us as a society to look at because it's not, you know, it, it, we, somebody in this conversation earlier mentioned about looking for, like, what our children have wrong with them. I think that we have to start looking at what do our children have right with them and what gifts do they have. And they do have, there there are wonder, these wonderful gifts. And my both of my children are very gifted, and they can connect with a population of people that need to be connected with. Yes. Well, that's well, fantastic. But they can also connect with the general population, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, too. Yeah. It's just that they have this innate ability right, to exactly. connect with people that, have, yeah. that are going through what yeah, they, they went were, through. They, you know, when, I, when my kids first got diagnosed, I was worried that, you know, I think you mentioned earlier too, Kirby, you're worried, like, what, are you going to retire? What are you going to do? What's going to happen later on? So I was worried. I remember I gave a speech at a Beverly Hills hotel, and uh, it was a fundraiser, and I, the, the whole 
theme of it was that when you first get that diagnosis, it's like all of your dreams have just died. Yeah. Everything just died. And you start over. Yeah, you and know? you have to start yeah. over. And and uh, so you just, you know, because when you have a baby, they hand you this baby and you start wondering, oh, what are they going to be? They're going to be a little boy. Football player. Gonna be football, or a doctor. <laughs> yeah. Well, my son wound yeah. up becoming a football player. He actually played yeah. college football for two years. I got that dream back, too. But, you you know, you just think, okay, well, now there's nothing. But the worst, the worst thing that happens for a parent is that, and this is the, for me was the the absolute. I felt like I was, it was ripped out of my soul. My, my right because when you're born, you live and you age and you go through this whole process and then you put all of your ducks in a row and then you, what are you doing? You're developing your own ability to die in peace, right? Yeah. That's what you do. Yeah. When you have a child with special needs, you lose that ability to die in peace. Yeah. It's gone. It's so true. you got yeah. stripped of a right that every other parent in the world has, the ability to die, plan, and die in peace. The die in peace part is gone because you are just wondering, well, you what's going to happen die. when I die? You can't you die. You can't die. That's well, the what's whole worse point. than taking that away from a person, yeah. the ability to not, not be able to die in peace? You are planning on... What am I going to do? I'm, and I know senior citizens that have disabled children, and it's painful because yeah. they are at the point where they are then, now what am I going to do? You know, somebody very near and dear to us, uh, to Tom and I, has a disabled child, and she's looking, you know, down the road, which isn't that much longer for her. She's a senior citizen. What's going to happen when she dies to her kids? That's a really terrible thing to strip from a person. That is like that is like the, the you know the, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But you can't yeah. die. Yeah. You know you can't die. Peace. You have to. You like you know you're clenching your teeth your entire life, looking at them. You know who's going to want? Who's going to take care of him or her? Who's going to take care of my kid? And That's my painful. son, it was nine years old. That's when he said, "Mom will never die." He because he realized that he's figuring out the life cycle and he mm-hmm. understands that you know you you are born and you you know have children and you do what pre- procreate and all that and then you go into your death cycle and he's like we'll never die we'll stay together forever and that's in his mind he's mm-hmm. going to continue thinking that uh, because it makes it comfortable for him exactly exactly and 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 it, it, that's probably the worst thing in the world to have taken away from you because it's part of your natural cycle of life it's like somebody saying to you right now you can't eat anymore that's it yeah. you know they're going to have any more food the right to die in peace and plan in peace is, is something so it's very, very important to get these kids uh, to a place where they can um, find what it is that they can do. Find, be, be out there, stop hiding away, get them out, even just physical activity. It's all really good for your brain. It's all really good. And it's, it's better to you know, have as many people get to know the child and the young person as possible. You know, we've had such great experiences here at the golf course when kids do come out watching these kids and watching the parents feel like, wait a minute, look what my kid can do. I mean, these are yeah. parents that didn't even... Yeah, see, and that's, that's a big part of it, is that because what for whatever reason people feel uncomfortable when they... I don't have autistic kids. I have... Some of my kids are a little lazy, but, <laughs> but they don't, they don't have very They don't have that. But one of the things that, that we've found out is that, like Margaret was talking about, kids model. And it doesn't matter if they're, if they're on the spectrum or not. I mean, all kids model. And what happens is the parents feel a little ashamed or whatever because they have some child that's different, well, then they shield the child from 
the slings and arrows of life, and that is so wrong. You have to bring them out because I think with like with Margaret's kids, they got their dots connected. They have tremendous brain power. I mean, they really do. Oh, yeah, but they didn't they didn't have it connected, and it was by you letting taking them out and putting them in society and putting them in situations and forcing the school to teach them and you did the discipline and being in the classroom with the kids. I mean, she just went right in and the teacher said the principal said, You can't do that. She said, Better read the read your instruction. You better read your rights. Because I'm gonna be here and if you try to put me out, you'll be out. Yeah. So all of a sudden they figured out here's a lady that has is using the power that she has. The power is there and the parents have to come and do that. They have to expose their kids to learning things and being part of society. A, a friend of mine um, was recently telling me about a, a group. They were they, a group of parents had uh, that all had kids on the spectrum, and one of the gentlemen was fairly wealthy. And they decided that the kids as a group would pay attention to detail. They could do really finite, little, detail mm -hmm. stuff yeah. that nobody else could even concentrate that hard on, which, to my mind, that once you get these kids' dots connected so that their cycle is all together, they really have tremendous brain power. But what he did is he went and bought a car wash, and he instructed the kids to do work at the car wash. These are ones that are adults not little kids, you know, but these are adults, and instructed them so well on one little part of the job. And so they would start having people, and sometimes people would come in, well, I have to go to that car wash because I'm going to help out the autistic kids, right? But all of a sudden people started coming back because their cars were perfect. Yeah. <laughs> they were coming out perfect because these kids, not kids, but they were adults on the spectrum, they were turning out a perfect product. And so what the gentleman did is he started moving these kids up as their abilities would warrant right. and gave them ways to do it. So I think they own now, now five car washes. And they're all, I think there's, I think he said it was 90, 94%, 95% owned and operated by autistic kids wow. or kids on the spectrum. And so I'm looking at stuff like that and the, the the way that Margaret worked with her kids and see the the ability. I, I talked to one gentleman and uh, his son was was diagnosed early and he decided to fight back and the doctor said this and he said, I'm not that's not gonna happen to my kid and so today uh, his child is operating a Fortune 500 company as a CEO. I yeah. mean, from being diagnosed as this is a person that you will have to have funds for after you pass away. Yeah. This is going to be somebody that's going to be totally needy. And I, I've found that some organizations um, are, are looking at as the kids' old age of keeping them in, the, in a kind of suspended animation where they don't allow them to do things or to expand their, their thought processes. And I don't, I don't know if you can go reteach them, but I know that we can get to the kids 
in our age group because when we have kids come to our clinic, which will be this um, July 11, 18, 25th, and August 1st at 9 o'clock here at the club, we're going to have a one-hour clinic. So anybody that has a child, they can call the uh, pro shop and register them. That's how hard it is. You just call up and give name, phone number, and email address of your child where where they can be reached or where the parent can be reached, and they're signed up. That's how hard it is. So uh, when the kids come here, then last year we we have a, a target that's Velcro, and we have them throw tennis balls at this target. And when they first came to first class, they each get 10, and there's like 200 balls would be thrown at this target and maybe two would hit. I mean, you know, they didn't have the eye-hand coordination of other people. At the last meeting, the target was totally covered and we'd have to remove the ball so the next person could come up. And so it wasn't just hitting the target. Now they were aiming at the bullseye and they they were enjoying it. I mean, they really they, I mean, and you know, Two little twins that were there, they were a little hard to handle. But they got so interested in it, and they were being competitive about getting the, getting the bullseye. That was a big thing to them. But they got some kind of recognition, and when we start out our program, we start out, we're not teaching them how to be golfers. We're just teaching them social skills, which is you stand over there and wait until it's your turn and you're not next, you're in line. And when that person comes up, that we tell them all what the whole program is, but then we say, this is what you do, and you just wait, okay? But you watch and see what this person is doing and see if you can do that as good or better. So they watch them. But we start out with a, a golf club that's oversized, and they're hitting a, a beach ball. They're hitting a big ball, and trying to even make contact with it seems difficult for them. The fourth week, and this is only four hours, the fourth week they're out on the driving range and they're actually using golf clubs hitting golf balls. And it is to me just to see how they get so excited about that. You know, they have accomplished something and they'll some some of them hit them. They're not hitting them like pro golfers, but then again, they're kids, you know, and a lot of kids just starting out don't do any better. And that confidence building is so important. A lot oh, of people don't yeah. realize the confidence building, the other thing that that can be used as, as a tool, and I know that any time my kids are involved in something when they were little, I would use it as a tool to say, you know, out at home or at school or whatever, you know, it was, a, it was like an earning thing, you know, especially for a parent that doesn't, you know, it's a free program or whatever. I'll tell you, if I was that parent, I'd be saying, you know, if you can do X, Y, Z during the week, then we're going to go to to golf because they love it. The, the kids just love it. For any kid, I would. But I mean, I'm just saying. I'm, you know, for, those, oh. those were like type of things that I would do with my kids. I was always uh, very early on. We met this, you know, fantastic woman that gave us some great advice and you know, behavior management, which was, you know. I was also very new to but we found this fabulous behaviorist and she said any opportunity that you have, use all the tools, you know, to say, like I said, you're coming on Saturday for a free clinic and on Friday, 
you get to like oh, expand your child's ability to see what they can do, how long they can behave. You know, so mm -hmm. even if it's an hour, even if it's the morning of, you know, if you can do whatever the behavior is that you want to wait, if it's waiting or if it's eating your breakfast or if it's picking up your plate and putting it in the sink or whatever that behavior is that you're working on, the session then could be, and then we'll go, you know, to the session. So those those types of opportunities, I think, I think are great. And being able to be around other people that, you know, have gone through this and to talk to parents about the type of things that they can, maybe just not the golf itself, but also everything for the week waiting up to. Because we had one dad, remember that dad that was talking about his son? And he looked forward to it all week long. Just looked forward to it all week long. And uh, you, you were talking yeah. about that, weren't you? He, he said... This is the only thing that my son has ever looked forward to. I love Ever. It. I mean, and you go, just a little... It, it's stuff. not... But yeah, to them, he got to feel that he was improving. He got to feel that he was doing something important yeah. for himself. And that um, is so important. When we say life on a spectrum, the concern with a lot of the family members that, that blog or talk to me on Facebook, um, they tell me, you know, okay, that's great for a high-functioning child that has the ability to hold a golf club or to hit a ball. And then they, there are some families that they have nonverbal kids that, you know, are severe and, and they really can't do something like this. But I still encourage even those kids and those parents if they feel confident and comfortable enough coming out and just observing and being a part of that, integrating those kids into those relationships or those social environments is so important because a lot of times we think that this child can't do something and we've learned as parents that our kids can probably do more than we can do. Well, I, my son I'm, was nonverbal. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to say so. My son was nonverbal. I had a doctor tell me that he probably never talked to us. I mean, I'm, and I'm, now I'm it's hard to get him to and quiet now, down, <laughs> yeah, now but, but it's right? all good well, he's stuff. Teaching. Yeah. He, also, so he also pointed out to me that uh, he, he was in an extemporaneous extemporaneous speech class, and he got an A in extemporaneous speaking. My son, who was never going, I was never going to hear his voice. Ah. So people now say to me, well, he must have been, you know, he must have either been mis misdiagnosed. Well, he's very high functioning. Well, he is now. But, you, you know, you can move through the spectrum, and and... I think that's a that's uh, you know like a preconceived notion that we have that if your child is going to be stagnant you're going to stay yeah. you're going to stay there that if you can't I mean I wasn't getting any words out of him it was my fault because I wasn't doing the behavior things that needed to be done in order to to connect that dots for him so when I had a really good behaviorist working with us she would ask me. Well, when he wants something, what do you? How do you do? How, it? Do you, how did you get it? And I'm only points to it. She yeah. goes, All right, and then what do you do? And I'm like, <laughs> I get it for him. <laughs> <laughs> we handicap them a lot of times. Oh yeah. Well, that's yeah. why your idea about bringing them out yeah. here because you never know. You'll see kids that otherwise would think you would think. Even I would think. I mean, I'm but you know I'm human and I look at some of these kids that come out and I'm thinking they're just not gonna do it. They're just yeah. Oh my goodness, they certainly do. They want to have fun. They want to. They want to get out in the sunshine. They like being around people. Yes. Um, and as uh, you know, as parents or as adults or as people, with it, we are always casting, you know, our own uh, thoughts of you know what anybody's capable of doing or not doing. And you know, I have as, as much as all of this is wonderful, happy stories. I have a, a you know a, a kind of a story about a parent that I met when my kids were in high school, um, and her son was in the same year, and really really bright kid, wonderful bright kid. 
and uh, my kids were heading off to college, and I have to put my perk in, my, my, my plug in for the Salt Center at the University of Arizona, which I, oh, I will be forever indebted to them because they just made college such a fantastic, successful experience for my, my kids. Um, anyway, they were getting ready to, they applied, they were getting ready to go off, and my friend said to me, your kids are going to move away from college. Oh, my God, my son will never be able to. We'd never be able to do that. He'll never be able to live independently. Aren't you afraid? And, and I said, yeah, I am afraid. And I said, but if they don't go and I don't see what they are capable or not capable of doing, I, I'm never going to know. So I'm that, you know, it's time to throw them out of the nest, and I have a, a net on the other side. I'm not just throwing them out and saying, goodbye, you know, you're done. I mean, I set up a support system that I was not part of, but I had to go out on a leap of faith and hope that, you know, hope and pray that things would get done. And it was more, it was more than successful. I mean, it was, you know, mind-blowing. Mind -blowing. My son had played on the football team. Both of my kids graduated, you know, in, with, you know, fantastic, you know, uh, grade point averages and did fantastic in school and worked in college and managed their lives and then moved into an apartment and then managed living in an apartment on their own and pay their own bills, and now they're completely independent. My friend's son, who she would not have the confidence to let him move out, is still not out of the house. Now has shut down. He doesn't work. He doesn't want to. I mean, this is a brilliant, brilliant young man. Yeah. Uh, works in a uh, fast food restaurant. Yeah. And uh, because she and I, I, I tell her. I don't. If she's listening, she knows who I'm talking about. When to mention her name, um, she, you know, she basically crippled him. That way, she did not get to me. I mean, I, I he's that sleepover. He's my son's friend. Yeah. I know how, that, that he had a lot more in him than that. But he, when she finally got tired of it, she felt like, well, now you should be old enough to do all this stuff. Um, you know, she didn't want to get let him have a driver's license, for example. He wanted to yeah. drive. He wanted to learn. No, no. She never trusted. Never trusted. Never trusted. She trusted him. She, she, she left. You know, she just like you know put him into such a small hole that when she finally turned around and said. Well, you need to learn how to drive now because you need to go get a job. And you need to, he said, "I don't want to learn how to drive." Yep. And he didn't have to, right? And he didn't have to. And, he and he's sitting. To. And he's sitting home. And he's a year older than my kids now. And uh, he's sitting home. And that's all he's. I mean, he works at a fast food restaurant. And he's probably miserable because he's so smart. And he should be working with computers because he's brilliant. And, he's and you know what? I was that mom at one point where I absolutely would not give my son the independence. I was scared. It was my fear. It wasn't his. And my boyfriend looked at me at the time. I mean, we've been together 10, almost 11 years. Um, and he said, uh, we have to give up his independence. If we don't do that, we're, we're never going to allow him to be yeah. free. And I always say it's our job as parents to unlock the little boxes inside these kids. Yeah. And you're always going to see. I mean, we get excited because he can brush his teeth by himself. And it's crazy, but, I mean, it's something that he's created, to, you know, himself, and he's able to do himself, and, and we get excited about it because it is that reward, but it's also we know that we worked really hard to get there. Right. So never give up, never, you know, and, and if you're not able to kind of cut those strings, find somebody that's going to help you do that. Exactly. Because every parent that I've met, every mom, and, and dad that I've met that have the independent kids that are growing the most are the strongest parents. Like, they are my mentors. Mm -hmm. I'm watching them and going, I can do that, you right. know, where I'm telling you, I was their parent. I, if I were alone, my son would be helpless. Well, right. and that's, uh, the, you know, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I understand that. I see that a lot. I see a lot of parents that, um, you know, have done that, and it's, it's sad, and then they get to a, 
and then they get to a point where you know the the boat left the dock and like you made a comment about I don't know if you could reteach. I think there's some things that you just can't. I know my son when my son was little, um, his behaviors were the biggest problem. His behaviors were terrible. So he was in a classroom of two he was one of two students and the other little girl in the class um was nonverbal also and his behaviors were well, I used to tell that woman in California, I used to tell her, oh, you know, we do, we're we doing this and we're doing that, we're going here, we're going there, and I've you know, got, got this behaviors coming over, I've got these therapists, I'm going to take them for speech therapy, I heard this person's great, I mean, you know, I don't even know if I slept in his entire childhood, probably yeah. 10 hours, I don't yeah. know, I was constantly, and she just said, no, you know what, I, I'm just, I, I think she's going to grow out of it, I'm not going to do that, I don't want to put too much stress on her, I don't want to she still doesn't talk. She still doesn't doesn't speak, and so you know now I don't think I don't think that you can undo that because there's a window of time. There's certain things that's like a window of time that I think that you have. Because their behavior, their comfort level, or whatever, they're not going to push themselves to that level, maybe. Possibly. I mean, and also you you create you create a world for them. I know what this family is doing because I follow I see them on Facebook and everything, and I see that you know she's um, still you know the mom does not is not somebody who um, is going to try to uh, put in, you know, try to like, you know, stair-step anything or scaffold, whatever you want to call the learning, the learning, which is, you know, yeah. scaffolding, even yeah. in regular learning language and the whole nine yards about scaffolding. The mom doesn't do that. She does no scaffold for this child. So if she improves on something, if she does it on her own, but there's nothing else that's going to happen. And I think that, um, you know, taking them out and getting around other people and being, you know, just, just being in typical, just being a kid, just being able to be out and being around other things. I was just so excited when Tom, you know, started this program here because there was nothing when we were, when my kids were little, there was very, very little activities and involved in sports. I mean, that was, what's great about golf is that you don't, the other thing that's great about golf, and you might want to talk about it, you don't have to come to the table being an athlete. Yeah. No. That, see, that. I I have the program that that we started over in Peoria High School District or school district. The the kids that we're 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 talking to just a general flow of kids, and you'll look at them and you'll think some of these kids are handicapped. I mean they don't have any coordination. I mean they're in that age group. They're freshmen in high school. And they're in that age group where they're their mind balance because they are, they're not really knowing who they are and they don't have a lot of the handicaps that some kids do. But then you can see that if you get them interested, it's the same thing as, as kids on the spectrum. If you get them interested, they will move forward. But it's you got to go back to the basic step, and that's what we do with the kids that, that we... We're teaching introduction to golf, and the thing we're trying to teach them is how to hold a golf club. I mean, most kids, when they're on the golf team, and I talk to the, the different coaches, they don't know how to hold a, a club. And you say, well, now these are regular functioning kids, right? Well, when you get kids on the spectrum, there's still that same thing, but once they get it, they got it, and so there's there's more hope. I'm not saying that that every child on the spectrum is going to wind up being the the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, but they can sure as heck get to a point where they can be high functioning, and 
it depends a lot on the parents because just getting them to come out here, you know, was kind is kind of intimidating to some of the parents. Well, I don't know how's my how are the people how are the members gonna look at I don't care what the members say. I mean I'll tell you right out, I don't care what you say. So you know the the point is if you have if you have a program that's helping people and helping these kids get into life. And that's what I think part of the teaching has to go to the parents, right? Because oh, yeah. you you were, I don't say fortunate, but in your with your background, you weren't going to take a negative comment because the guy is a doctor. Right. Well, that was my personality. They didn't you know. know they yeah. didn't know about it either. <laughs> right. Well, they didn't know. Right. They didn't know anything about what we're talking about here either. Right. Well, and anybody that knows but about autism being, knows how much they don't know about it. Yeah. You know, you hear some of the experts talk, and, any, and they, they know they don't. They don't they, know anything. Well, they I don't mean, know. They know, the, they know, they don't know a lot the of stuff, but they, they don't, don't know, know how to fix. They it. don't know the cause. They don't know the cure. They don't know the big important things. Yeah. They really don't. I mean, they 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 theorize about it, and you know, something maybe there maybe. There isn't one cause, and maybe there isn't one cure, so maybe that's why, just like it's a spectrum disorder, I'm guessing it's going to be a spectrum of causes and a spectrum of cures. I mean, it can't possibly be a spectrum disorder and have one cure and one no. cause. I just can't. I don't believe and, that. And I don't think it's going to be a chemical either. And, and, uh, and, I think it's yeah. going to be behaviors. I'm seeing more work, beneficial work being done with kids by them doing behaviors. Reprogramming their brain. Their brain. And see, yeah. I think they have, and that's why I say about connect the dots. In my book, I show people how connecting the dots is, is so important. It's just most people in their comfort zone. Well, these kids are in a comfort zone. Yeah. See, we don't, we don't realize because our brains don't function like theirs. And so when they're in their comfort zone, they're, it's okay whatever they're doing in there yes. because they're doing what they want to do. doesn't hurt them. Sounds, I mean, to them. Um, sounds of autism, part of the, the name came from, uh, I've been around music my whole life. My dad was a band director, and um, I used to write music uh, when I was 16. I, I did my first song. Um, but one of the things that I noticed when my son was um, nonverbal, uh, he learned and I learned that he wasn't deaf-mute because he would hum the song that I played every day when we got in the car. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he hears, and he hummed it in tune. I was like, he has a good ear, too, you know? So it was it was really encouraging to me. So I took my musical background, and I started writing music for autism. And it's, we haven't released it yet, but my goal is to release by the end of the year. And one of the songs is called My Baby Angel, and it talks about exactly what we were talking about, Margaret, when we said you feel like when you're given the diagnosis that you just, your, your child or your life just died and you started over again. So the baby angel talks about that and it says, but when you realize the child or the gift that you were given, you're like, oh my gosh, I was given an angel and I have to learn how to raise this angel. Like, am I qualified to do this? Right. And right. It's, the song is just amazing. The, the lady that's going to be singing it, she's been in the business a long time and she's like, I connected with that song. Um, it just, makes me fall in love with your child. Um, and the second song is called Finding My Way, and it's a perspective of my son telling everybody in the United States or outside the United States that he is a typical child. He has, he has uh, feelings. 
he he gets upset, he gets he's happy, he has all the same emotions. Right. He's just a different brand of a person. Yeah. And I'm hoping that those two messages and those songs will become an awareness campaign for for families that are going through what we're going through, but also for society um, to understand that it doesn't take just a family to raise a child with autism, it takes a community. Mm-hmm. And if we can get everybody to understand that and understanding that this is the largest epidemic in the United States right now. Oh, yeah, I was the watching largest. a program on Dateline that was so scared you watched about the eight kids, kids that are aging out. I, mean, yeah. I didn't get to see it, and I'm upset yeah, because right. I really wanted to, but I heard it was great. It was great, but it was scary because yeah. there are, you know, there were tens of thousands, tens of thousands of children that are aging out of the programs for any kind of support or anything like that, and are just home. They have there's nothing for them. They probably, you know, they, they, their parents are struggling trying to find out what to do with them. They're they're not going to work. Um, they're going to collect disability. I mean, even if, if if people are listening to this and just want just hear it on that level, because you know, there's a, even if you want to just be find a selfish, you know, uh, uh, part of yourself and say, reason well, wait a help. second, a selfish reason to help. Exactly, exactly. Uh, what is going to happen to our society when you know tens of thousands of young adults are are, are going on social security and you have SSI checks coming in SSI checks well SSI checks going into them means yes. SS it means money coming out, out of, of the coffers exactly. and so when it, it when that number keeps going up and up and up and up in the co- and you know I mean that those those young people are entitled to and are going to have to receive social security disability benefits yeah. okay so you know that when is that going to com- explode? That number is going to become so unbelievable. Where are you going to get? Where are they going to get the numbers, the money from? Uh, Social Security for the elderly, benefits for the elderly. They're going to be taking. They have to take. There's only so much money in the pot. Yeah. So the money is going to go. Going to be going to be going to the people that you can't deny because they can't work. They're severely disabled and they, or they or they're unable to work. Um, and you know then it's got to come from someplace else. So if you want a selfish reason to help, that's a really important reason as society, if we don't start to get our arms around this and say, well, hold on a second. We have, sure, not every one of those young people is, you know, probably is, is ever going to have a way of working. Not every yeah. single one of them. Yeah. Just like not every single one of, of, you know, everybody that comes back from the war is going to, uh, you know, have a successful outcome. Not, that's that's a fact. But if we can take that those numbers and reduce them in any way possible, it, it's a it's a no brainer, and if 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 by re- if we're able to here at the club, if we're able to find ways to say you know to make some connections where a kid then starts a parent starts to say, well wait a second, my kid is capable of things, you know maybe maybe they are capable, or just being around people that have uh, more information, uh, or just like like earlier when I mentioned about the salt center at U of A, this is another thing that's hilarious. My, when my kids were in in high school, I got to know some of the special ed teachers. My son was never in special ed class in high school. He was always in regular ed classes, but I did get to know some of the special ed uh, um, teachers. And I started asking them about the salt center. Here in Arizona, they did not know about it. They had no idea. No idea. Yeah. Nothing. Zero. That is a shame. Well, you know, with what you were saying, going back to what you were saying, though, about the number of kids that are on it that may, as they get to be adults, Aging out of and they're aging out. How many of those, if they got proper care, 
and the parents figured out, or there was a program that showed the parents what they had to do, uh, how many of those kids actually could be high-functioning like your kids? I mean, you you just, you gave up one hell of a, a job in, in corporate and that she was on a we rocket, all have. I mean, on a rocket ship true. going up. Yeah. I mean, yep. she took a, a company out of about 490 company offices and went from the bottom 5% to the top 5% in a very short period of time. Top 2%. <laughs> top 2%, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, she had a lot of stuff going for her and her career, which she practiced and worked for to get there. But then there's my two kids, my twins. Well, what do I do? And she figured out what to do. But I think what you were saying about modeling for them and she would not allow those kids to be in special needs classes where they're isolated, where they don't get the, the, the modeling from what every other kid is doing. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's like you hear your child humming, and so you, oh, well, he can he can hear. He's just not talking. Yeah. Okay. Well, how do, where's, where's some programs that help parents understand it's not an affliction. It just happened to you. So what? This is what you get to do about it. And you can, there is some light at the end of the tunnel. You can, maybe your kid won't be the highest functioning human, but there's a lot of parents raised kids that have no problems mentally and they turn out not to be functioning either. Yeah. There's a lot of kids that wind up living in the basement. So it's it's not anything, just because your kid functions real well at first doesn't mean they're going to function real well at the oh, end. Oh, boy, how that, so, that's exactly you know, right. I think there's got to be some programs that actually help parents adjust to the fact that, yes, my kid is this way, and there is some help, and this is how I'm going to do it. So I didn't get to ask you all the things about your organization and what does your organization offer in the community. So I do a presentation called on a spectrum, it's a free presentation. It's about 45 minutes. We use the acronym SPECTRUM. S-P-E-C-T is the five steps to become RUM, Responders United to Make a Difference. Uh, I created this um, based on some of the calls that, um, again, my boyfriend is a Phoenix police officer, hearing some of the stories and how uh, the officers were responding to calls, not being aware of autism and understanding the neurological part of it. Uh, they just didn't handle it the right way, and he was able to go in and actually um, support those those families the, the way that we would want to be supported. Um, so Responders Unite, um, United make, make a Difference like I said, we brought that even broader, and now we're going out and actually finding um, resources and programs and different things that we can offer um, our communities to bring that awareness. So um, we're doing Life on a Spectrum presentations, that's through Sounds of Autism, and Responders Unite is actually a coalition of nonprofits that are starting out. So if you go on Facebook and look under Sounds of Autism or Responders Unite, or Growing with Autism Seven Seeds, that's another one I do for my blog. Um, those are those are awareness campaigns. Those are places that a parent who may think their child's autistic but not sure, they can go there and ask lots of questions or reach out to me or, or our group, and um, we'll be able to give them some support on how to find out, um, you know, what's going on. Because a lot of times your pediatrician doesn't know that answer. Right. They, they, they know there's 
certain things they should be doing at certain ages, but if they're not, they may say, well, it might be a little development delay. Um, but with, with some of the parents, uh, we've been through it, we've seen it. My son, it took him till six to actually get the diagnosis. They're doing it closer to three and four now. Um, but there's certain doctors that will and certain doctors that won't. Um, and, you know, finding those psychologists, we have all those resources. So reach out to us, uh, Cricket Barrientos um, at Sounds of Autism. Um, that's one of the ways to do it. Uh, we also are working on a, it's called the Evan McCare Grant. Evan McCare's dad is a police officer as well. Uh, Evan needed a dog, a service dog, to stay in the charter school that he was going to. He had too much anxiety and stress. Um, they were able to, through the community, raise $17,000 for the dog. Uh, by the time I found them and wanted to offer a grant through Sounds of Autism, they had already had it. But the mom and I had met a couple of months ago, and she told me that Evan's dog is great, but the school is not able to respond correctly because they are not trained, and the training costs $700. So Sounds of Autism in August will be giving them $700 to have the school and all their faculty trained to work with this dog and, and really support Evan. And the last thing we're working on right now is life skills cards. Uh, it'll be sign language on one side, picture language on the other, so that when we're integrating these kids into society that we're able to support them through the nonverbal especially. They're able to communicate if they go out to eat. They can hand the server life skill cards and the parent now becomes uh, less dependent or they become less dependent right. on the parent. So our hope is even if they're nonverbal and they, they feel they have to talk, we're still trying to force that child to really uh, build, build that independence yeah. and, and mm -hmm. you know, find that box and unlock it so that they want to communicate. Those are, those are the resources I offer. Responders okay. Unite is going to be huge. I hope people jump on board with this campaign because I just think it's going to just take off. Yesterday we, we blew it up on Facebook and we already have 350 followers, I think, on our, our page. Oh, so, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, we're just about, we're not quite out of time yet, but is there anything that uh, you would like to leave a final message? There's a couple shout-outs I'd like to give. Um, Litchfield School District is where, where uh, my son is attending, and he's now at Western Sky Middle School. But Gina DeCoste at Mabel Paget Elementary was really the person that pushed me and our family to stay in the public schools and, and really get the right resources. She, every year, hand-selected the teachers that Landon would have, knowing that they would push, push him to his fullest potential. So I want to make sure if you're in a school district that you don't think is doing enough or you're not getting the resources, you know, reach out to, to Litchfield School District, Gina DeCoste um, at Mabel Paget, and she, I think, would be more than happy to support your, um, your schools into finding programs that would work for you, and they don't have to cost money. Um, Dysart School District, my sisters both teach in that, and they're doing a great job as well, and it, it's not money that, that people need to do this. They can figure out ways. We can support that through Sounds of Autism. Uh, Phoenix Police Department is now doing a special um, uh, task force, uh, CIS, and basically it was um, started, I believe, through Mayor, Mayor Staten started it. He's been doing a lot with the military and the PTSD and a lot of things to try to help military families um, and also uh, people with special needs. And I, I want to say that he's doing a great job and hopefully he'll jump on board with the Autism and Responders Unite as well. Um, he's bringing awareness to the mental illness and things that are happening in the state of Arizona. Um, and we uh, we haven't had a lot of support with that through the politicians. We just Maybe they're just not aware of what's really going on. Um, so my hope is that they, they start seeing and hearing that and wanting to support what we're doing because um, 
every one of us family members are nervous about what's going to happen oh, sure. uh, in the future for these kids. Um, and for our state, can we afford these kids to all be on SSI at 22 years old, 25 years the old? The answer to that is no. no. The answer to we that don't is have no. That money. The, the money is not there. The parents are going to have to step up and take responsibility and do the things that are necessary, the resources that are out there to, to help the parents teach the kids. And we have to get the kids to model. And I think what you said is putting the kids in in their regular classes and making sure that the parent is responsible for that for the behavior of the child. And that's what Margaret really did with, with her kids. When there was a, a problem, she just told the teacher, you teach, I discipline. So, you know, if it comes down to that, there has to be a working relationship you can't send your kid to the school and think that's the babysitter. Well, that's exactly right. That's, 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 that, that is the most that's important thing. Where it, where it so comes, many kids get dropped at the curb and then they And the parents go, and now you take care of it, and I'll get them when they come home. And what I think we all have to look at it as, as our situation. And I don't look at it as a problem. Everything is an opportunity. Because when you, if you meet Margaret's kids, you will see the the brain power that they have and the charm and charisma that they have, they are going to be high. Well, they've already bought their first house and they're in their master's program. Wow. So let, oh. let me tell you, and they didn't do it because mommy bought it for yeah. them. I mean, they did it on their own and they are working and they did it because they're, they're moving forward. The point is that your kids can be high-functioning, but you have to be a high-functioning parent Karen, to get them to that you point. You said it. Yeah, and Margaret's kids are my, she's my model. Like I can watch her and learn from her, and that's how the autism community right now is working. Um, is we're helping each other understand. Oh, yeah. We're creating these programs. We're writing the book for it yeah. because there's nothing. There's yeah. there. I mean, there's a lot of resources. We're still learning what those are. Margaret is writing the book. Yeah. yeah. Yay. <laughs> so okay. you guys need to take care of that. Thank you. Okay. Well, um, I guess that this will be the uh, sign off for us. And uh, I want to thank our, our guest, uh, uh, Cricket Barrister. Barrientos. Barrientos. I'm, I'm terrible with names, and I have one lagering, so it's very difficult for me with everyone else. And then Margaret Ortiz, a very good friend of mine. And we're here today trying to talk to people about how to make um, the life of autistic kids better by having the parents become responsible and finding the resources and knowing that there are resources for everyone. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Success or Failure with Tom Legering and Terry Munther. Success or Failure is a Boomer and the Babe Enterprises radio production. Contact them at boomerandthebabe.com.